Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted, the Christ Central Festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Okay, hi everyone. Great to see you here. This is the Life in the Spirit Life Zone. So if you're expecting something else, then now's the chance for you to run out and nobody think anything worse of you. But you're not, so that's a good so it is. <laughs> um, so uh, welcome, it's great to, to have you here. Uh, my name's Graham Pyman. Uh, I'm married to Sarah and we lead Jubilee Church in Derby. And um, I was expecting a little bit of a whoop from the Derbyites who are here, but that was quite quiet, so I may try that again in a moment. So uh, we're in Derby, and uh, I'm part of Jeremy's Christ Central uh, team. And uh, I'm only hosting uh, these three days, and I'll introduce some other people to you in a moment who are going to be taking the bulk of the sessions for us. But I want to start by telling you a story. Is that okay? That's the, I'm glad you said yes, because that's the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story. And I want the story I want to tell you is really why we're doing this life zone and how the friendships that I'm going to describe have come about and uh, why we're doing this together this morning. So it was back in 2014, and uh, if you're just coming in, there's a few more seats around. You're very welcome. There's some up at the front here as well that we've saved specially for you. In fact, if you've got a spare seat next to you, can you put your hand up, please? Guys, if you're looking for a seat, find somebody who has a hand up and they have a seat next to them just for you. They've been saving for you specially. So there are some, still some spare seats. They shouldn't need to stand. We've got some seats at the front here. And people who've got their hands up either have a seat next to them or want to be prophesied over. It could be either. <laughs> so we, we shall see. Okay, so it was back in 2014 that um, my dad got quite ill. He'd been unwell for a a period of time uh, and then very quickly got very, very ill and passed away in October 2014. And um, so we had a family funeral and Thanksgiving service and it was great to be able to celebrate the life of my dad who'd loved Jesus since he was very small and uh, brought us up to, to love him and to uh, to follow the Lord. And so I had a Thanksgiving service to celebrate my dad's life. And uh, I gave a tribute at that, which is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but at that, at that service and uh, on that day, as is the custom on these things, obviously family gathers. And uh, my cousin and uh, his wife were there, Trevor and his wife Janet. And um, Trevor's a little bit older than me. And uh, it's interesting that their spiritual journey has often preceded things that I've done. And uh, I remember just as a, I don't know how, I probably would have been a teenager, I guess. And uh, Trevor and Janet were newly married. 
And uh, they took me along to their, at the time it seemed crazy, wacky, charismatic church. This is, this is not Horsham, this is pre-Horsham. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I, I, was, I was fascinated by it and just what God was doing. That, that mate, that mate, is that, is that, is that, is that me? No, it's not. It. I'm sorry. Can't take him anywhere. <laughs> And so at the, at the Thanksgiving service for dads, then Trevor and Janet were there. And uh, afterwards, we all trooped out to the, the hall at the back of the church to have coffee and cake and, and to chat. And Sarah and I stood talking to Trevor and Janet. And um, obviously, it's, it's a sad day because I'd lost my dad, but also a day of celebration for all that he had achieved in his life and all that... Uh, God had done in him and with him. But as we were talking to Trevor and Janet, they were describing to us a recent conference they had been to and what God was doing in their lives. And it was evident to me that they had something in God that at the time Sarah and I didn't have. And in that moment, unexpectedly, this is the key thing, unexpectedly, God put such a desire in our heart for more of him. Now, I hadn't expected it. You know, I'm at my dad's funeral. It's been a difficult few weeks. He's been very ill in hospital and then passed away. But suddenly, God broke in in the most unexpected way. And just in a very short conversation, we knew that we needed to get more time with Trevor and Janet and find out what God had done in them and what God was doing around in Horsham and in some other places. And so we arranged to meet a little bit later that day, and we arranged to, to meet for, for a drink or head out for a meal that evening. And so we went out to a local pub, Sarah and I and, and Trevor and Janet, and we went and got a meal together that evening. And just as we talked, the presence of God came, and it's, God was, was in the place. Now, we'd had quite an emotional day, but again, suddenly, unexpectedly, God broke in. And just the sense of his presence and his nearness and his heart was tangible as we sat in this restaurant eating our fish and chips or whatever it might have been. And so that started something else, thinking what we've seen in God so far is not enough. There is more. And he put in us a hunger for more of him. Now, I've been a Christian since I was probably about four or five. So we're talking sort of 20, 25 years, something like that. <laughs> Ish. Ish. <laughs> and uh, I, I was brought up uh, in a more traditional Baptist church and then uh, found my way into New Frontiers and charismatic church life uh, in my early 20s. So I've been around a little bit. But in, in that moment, God put something in me, a desire for more of him, for more of his presence. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey ever since. And so Trevor and Janet are part of uh, the, the team at King's Church in Horsham. And it's great to have friends of ours from Horsham uh, here this morning, dotted around. I'm not sure actually who's in the room, so that maybe you can introduce them in a moment. That way you'll get in trouble if you miss anybody, not me. Um, but I remember speaking to, to Andy, and Andy and Hazel lead the team at Horsham. And I remember speaking to Andy saying, look, God's put something in us, a desire for his presence. Would you come and help us on that journey because of what they were seeing locally? 
And so then the following January, we decided as, a, as an eldership team to lead the church into a week of prayer and fasting for more of God's presence. And so that's what we did. And during that week, I left the UK and headed off to Cambodia for a couple of weeks. We were working with some churches out there. That's another story. Um, but I'm there in Phnom Penh, in, which is the capital of Cambodia, at a prayer meeting on a Sunday night. And I get a text from our administrator, David, saying, everything's changed. God's just broken in. Because it was Sunday morning in the UK, Sunday night in Cambodia. Just at that moment, we're gathering the church plant in Phnom Penh together and praying, and God broke in in a way that was totally unexpected for them. Suddenly, God was on the move in a new way that we hadn't seen before. When I got back a couple of weeks later, I got back to what I thought was a different church. Honestly, the Sunday morning, the meeting, I was like, I'm in a different place. It's just got a different feel to it. God is here, and there's a hunger and joy and freedom that we had not known for I don't know how long. Because God was doing something. And uh, I remember we, we talked on the phone after that time, Andy and I were saying, well, initially I said, would you come and help us break something open? I think God's done that now. <laughs> now would you come and help us take some steps into this journey? And so over the last couple of years, we've been on a journey as a church Pressing in to more of God, increasing our hunger for him, pressing into the prophetic and all that he wants to do amongst us, not just in a Sunday morning context, but in our lives as a whole and in our church community as a whole. And so I've known Andy for for quite a while. He and I have been involved in New Day and things over the years, serving in different places. Um, but Sarah and I have had the joy of getting to know Andy and Hazel, particularly over this last little while, and some of their team uh, from Horsham that they'll introduce in a moment. And I have to say, they have served us as a local church outstandingly well. They've also served us as an apostolic team, I'm sure Jeremy would, would say, outstandingly well, as they've been with us and encouraged us and, and ministered to us. And uh, that's why we invited them to join us for Devoted, and to come and be part of what God is doing here. And while we thought, let's do a life zone about life in the Spirit. And as you will find out over these three mornings, it isn't just about life for those two hours on a Sunday morning in the Spirit, but rather we're talking about all of life in the Spirit. Amen? Because actually what we want to do in these life zones is to equip us to live for Jesus in everyday life. And two hours on a Sunday morning is a minuscule snapshot of that. But it should be a place where we encounter more of God and he equips us and sends us out to whatever we're doing for the rest of life. And so what we're hoping over these three mornings and praying for, and indeed I would say even expecting, is that God is going to equip us for life in the Spirit in all of life. And I trust that's what you're hungry for. And just as I, as I started by saying, it was an unexpected conversation at my father's funeral that started a journey for me. You have, become, you have been quite intentional by coming to this life zone. I wonder what God could do in you and your church, in your family and community as a result of these three days. So let me just pray and then I'm going to welcome Andy and he'll take us from here.
Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence. And we give you this time together and say, Lord, let it all be yours. Would you equip us? Would you teach us? Would you increase our faith that you are going to move, not just in our lives, not even just in the lives of our churches, but in the communities, the villages, towns and cities and nations that we represent. Lord, that we might see life in the Spirit in all of life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's welcome Andy as he comes. Wonderful. Wow, it's so good to be here. Let me just uh, power up the old notes. And, uh, and we'll be, Wow, it's packed in here now. <laughs> There's lots of you. Hi at the back. Can you hear me all right? Excellent. Okay, the, the, the spirit's going to start the back and move forward. So, you, you, you know, it's like it'd be a wave. The wave doesn't start on the beach, does it? It starts at the back. So uh, you, you're, you're going to really get a good blessing up there. But I want to encourage you just to really be open to what God might do in your heart. Um, and uh, not worry about what everybody else is doing or what's going, or even what I'm doing. Because if the Holy Spirit starts speaking a message into your heart, it'll be much better than what I'm going to tell you. That's for sure. All right? So just really want you to be open to that. Um, as uh, Graham said, I'm here with a team. Um, why don't you stand up so everybody can see you? Um, this is Hazel, uh, my wife of 25 years. It's our wedding anniversary Wednesday. Um, and uh, Joe... Uh, both of those, obviously, in, in my church, this is Dave, he's an elder at Trinity Church in North London that I have a lot to do with, and Dave's got an amazing prophetic gift, has Joe, so um, we just wanted to kind of work as team, we do that very much, we believe in team, um, we believe in, in, in ministering together, um, you know, we want the, we want the, the, the uh, prominence of, of gifting together, not the dominance of one character. Um, because actually, you see, if it's, if it's just me telling you what's going on at King's Church, then what will happen is, is that you'll end up with a caricature of the truth. Okay, a caricature, we know what that is, don't we? It's where certain uh, elements of one's face normally are overemphasized. Um, and that's what a caricature is. And if it's just me, then you will get an overemphasis of what my gift is. You'll get an overemphasis of what my, my joys are and what my passions are. And you'll end up with a caricature. So that's why team is so important. So you don't end up with a caricature, you end up with a true reflection. Um, and that's why God put Adam on the Eve, and Eve on the earth together, because either one of those sexes will produce a caricature, but together you see the true reflection of God, okay? So that's why we, we love team and uh, doing all of that. Um, I do want to say, I'm going to tell you a story first of all, because I think it will help you in just engaging with God, okay? Because I do think sometimes we have to gauge engage much harder with what the Holy Spirit's doing than often we do. I think we can be quite passive sometimes. And so I'll tell you this story. I was uh, uh, preaching uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning um, and I felt God give me a word of knowledge um, for someone. And the word of knowledge was all about kind of bowels and pipes. Let's just say that. Um, and um, rather embarrassing, but nonetheless, I've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and go and do what he says to do. Um, and so um, I brought this word of knowledge, um, and then I invited the individual to stand. Um, and uh, several people stood, uh, and we prayed for them, and that was all kind of great. And afterwards, a very well-meaning lady came to me and rebuked me 
um, for doing something that was so insensitive and asking people to stand on something that was such an embarrassing personal issue. Um, to which I smiled and thanked her for her input, and uh, we, we moved on. But uh, I got an email several weeks later um, from a guy that had stood at that point, and he'd, he'd had suffered with irritable bowel syndrome uh, and uh, things with his piping uh, for some, lo- some time, many years in fact. And he'd been prayed for before, and every time he'd been prayed for, the symptoms had gone. And then after two or three days, they'd come back. And he said, when I asked people to stand to receive their healing, he then had an internal battle with the Holy Spirit. And he said to the Holy Spirit, there's no way on God's green earth I'm going to stand up in front of 400 people um, for this. And the Holy Spirit just said to him, do you want your healing more than your reputation? And in that moment he stood. In that moment he received healing and it has never, ever, ever come back. And so... It's wonderful, isn't it? But the purpose of what the story is, is great that he was healed, but the purpose of the story is, is the fact that do you want God in your life? Do you want God to do stuff in your life more than you want your reputation? Do you want what God's got for you more than what the person sitting to your left or to your right is going to think of you if you stand? And I know that's hard if you're a leader, if you're leading the church, all of those kind of things. What are people going to think? But are you hungry enough? Are you desperate enough to stand or to do whatever God's asking you to do more than you value your reputation? And so my encouragement to you would be as we go through uh, what we're, we're doing, there'll be opportunity, I'm sure, as the Holy Spirit speaks to me or the team, um, just to respond to things. But I'd encourage you, move quickly. Um, I think sometimes there's a moment of grace as words of knowledge comes to deal with it. So particularly if I'm, I'm imploring people, to stand, because I know God's spoken to me and there's no one standing, just for the record, don't come and see me afterwards, because I will headbutt you. I'm okay in myself, because I get it wrong, and I'm used to getting it wrong, and I'm a son of the king, and I don't mind getting it wrong, because he loves me, and my performance has nothing to do with how much he loves me. So I'm okay with getting it wrong, okay, but please don't leave me hanging if you know I'm right, and I know I'm right. Please respond. Is that all right? Good. Because uh, we were, at, um, interestingly, at Catalyst, which is the sphere of Church of New Frontiers that, that I'm part of and we're part of. I call what we're doing here intersphering. <laughs> I'll leave that one with you. Okay. But we were at Catalyst, and, and um, uh, on the main meeting, about a dozen kids, probably 12 years old kind of age, came out with words of knowledge. Um, and um, they were very specific, like you're on this zone, you've got this colour tent, you're in this colour, you know, this colour here, and this is what, what the deal is. And, and people were responding, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And then Julian Adams uh, was with us the year before, in fact, who was, he was moving very specifically in words of knowledge, and um, <laughs> he was like calling out phone numbers, you name it, he was on there, and, and, and he couldn't get people to respond. It was like pulling teeth. And eventually they did. And what struck me was how, when the kids were bringing the word of knowledge, people were so desperate for them to be right that they would respond in an instant because they didn't want to leave this little kid on the stage thinking, I've heard God and what's happened? Now, I think we need to learn how to do that as coming as, as little children, where there's that desperation for whoever's on the stage, whether it's me or anybody else. You think, 
they're really stepping out here. And so this is me. I'm going to go for it. And, um, you know, part of my story, as Graham has called alluded to, is, is that sense of hunger, you know. And there are times when I've decided I am going out for prayer and I don't care what it is. You know, I've been up for prayer when they've called out for, for, for kind of pregnant black Afro-Caribbean women. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there because if there's a blessing, I want it. And, and we got... Hey, I'm there. <laughs> Who ate all the pies? It was me. But, but are you hungry for a blessing? Are you going to wrestle and say, God, I am not going to let you go until you've blessed me. And we need to learn to be much less passive and much less needy and waiting for God to go, oh, come on then, there, there, there. You know, no, I'm going to come for a blessing. And, and that was kind of my story. And I thought it'd be helpful, and Graham, as I was speaking to him, to talk about my personal story. Because there's been a radical change in me and in our church, really, over the last kind of four years. Um, and it all began uh, when I had forgotten to book a prayer week. Um, it was in my diary, but I'd, I'd kind of, you know, forgotten an important part of it, which was booking the venue. Um, and so I'd said to my PA, just book anywhere. I don't care, just somewhere. And she said, well, give me a clue. Um, and at the time, um, I'd just seen on Facebook, actually, Trevor and Janet had just posted um, uh, the fact that someone had got out of a wheelchair in a place called Cumbran in South Wales. Um, and you may remember that. So I went there and had the privilege of, of going to those meetings in the first kind of week or two of, of things kicking off in, in Cumbran, what was then referred to as kind of the, the outpouring. And it was all right, actually. It was all right. And uh, the meetings were okay. And um, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking, there is not a great difference between what God's doing in Horsham and what's going on here. You know, years ago when the Toronto Blessing came and, and stuff, and you could see all this stuff going on over there, and you could, might look at where you were as a church, and you're thinking, there is a grand canyon of difference between where we are and where they are. But when we were in Cumbran, I'm thinking, actually, it's not that far apart. Um, but there was something different, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And so over the week that I was there, I had the privilege of meeting uh, the leaders of the church and being able to go out for dinner with them after some of the meetings. And it was there the Holy Spirit showed me what was the difference. And the difference was, was that I could see a hunger in them that I knew I didn't have. I could see a passion for the presence of God that I knew I didn't have. And I was ambitious for the kingdom I was ambitious uh, for church growth. I was ambitious um, for all that God was doing. I was ambitious even for signs and wonders and miracles. I was ambitious for all of those things. But it suddenly struck me that there's a massive difference between ambition and hunger. And what happened was, was I just met God in that moment. And just, I just knew that I wasn't that hungry. Not like they were. Um, and so that was it really. It wasn't kind of whoop whoop. But it was just that moment of realisation. And I went back to church. I was preaching that Sunday. Um, and it wasn't a particularly good sermon. I've listened to it since. I, you know, I wouldn't, don't bother yourselves. It wasn't that good. Um, but, um, <laughs> but whilst we were doing that, I dropped into it. This is how I communicate with Hazel. It's often from the pulpit, just to let her know what's going on. Uh, uh, so I just said, actually, Hazel and I are going to go to our building at that time to go and pray in the evening. It wasn't scheduled, it wasn't anything we're doing, I just dropped it in. Um, now, I don't know about you, anybody leads churches and you go to prayer meetings. Now, 
you know, if we got a church at that time was 250, so if we got 12 people to our prayer meeting, it, it felt like revival was breaking out. Um, and, oh, you, okay, you recognize that, right. Um, and, you know, as a good leader, I used to spend most of the hour wondering where everybody else was. Not particularly focused on the 12 or 10 that were there. I was more worried about where was the 240 people that weren't there. Um, and so, actually, I'd gone to this prayer meeting not with high expectations, but I knew I needed to get hungry, and actually, it was packed. Um, and you're thinking, I give notices for 20 minutes and nobody pitches up, and I've literally made a drop-in statement in the middle of a, a, of a sermon, and the room's full, because God began to ignite that hunger in other people as well. Um, and uh, God pitched up in a big way. Um, I mean, the holiness of God just felt in the room. I mean, nobody spoke, nobody did anything. We were just on the deck. We were just out of it. And it was just quiet. But the presence of God was so thick. And then just out of nowhere, people started to publicly confess sin. Um, I've never been in anything like that. It was just incredible because it was the holiness of God was there. And then, you know, the appointed hour came when we were due to finish um, and nobody moved. Nobody went home. Nobody wanted to leave that kind of presence of God. And that was really the beginning um, of something quite amazing um, in us as a church. I mean, you probably know the story of Cumbran. I mean, that was, that was kicking off. The world and his dog were trying to get the leaders to come and minister at their church. Um, and quite rightly, they were saying, you know, while God's doing this, none of us are leaving. Um, but then two weeks after I'd been there, I got a, a, a message from Richard Taylor, who was leading the church at the time, saying, God has spoken, and he wants us to come to Horsham. So I've said, mm-hmm, okay. Um, now, we don't have a building. Um, it was a school, school week time, you know, the term time. So we were running around, and uh, my good friend Jim Partridge has a church over in Burgess Hill with a nice building. So I, I phoned Jim and said, I need your building, big time. Um, and within, it was only a week, we had um, a few kind of tweets and Facebook messages later. We had people four hours before the meeting was due to start queuing around the building. Um, we sent away more people than we let in um, because the, just people were just hungry. And um, during that first meeting, which was great, uh, uh, Richard then said, let's do it again tomorrow night. I'm thinking, look, it's not my building, mate. I can't. So anyway, so I spoke to Jim, who's next to me. He goes, I can't do tomorrow night. I'm not here. I said, we don't need you, Jim. <laughs> Just need your building. Um, so, which he did. And on that second night, I remember Richard speaking to me and he said this. He said, Andy, if this move of the Holy Spirit is going to remain, you have got to carry it because I'm going home tomorrow. And it wasn't like a massive impartation. It wasn't anything like that. But it was just that moment of, of God saying, you're going to need to do something if you want more of this. And, and that was really quite a pivotal moment um, for us on that journey. Um, and uh, it was just, just incredible. And so, I w- you know, hunger is really key, is, is, is getting hungry for God. And, and so as that journey continued, I remember going up to uh, the King's Arms um, to the Father's Heart Conference, and um, somebody said something at this conference that, if I was close enough, I would have smacked him in the face. I really would. Someone you probably know and love, Phil Wilthew. Um, I didn't really know Phil at that point. We're really good friends now. Not because I smacked him in the face and he had to forgive me or anything like that. But what happened in that moment was 
he so offended me. He so offended everything I thought I knew um, that in those seconds after he spoke, God did a work in me that I've never recovered from and don't plan to either. And what Phil said was this. He said, God's primary purpose in sending Jesus was not the remission of sin, but the adoption of sons. And in that moment, my life changed because I was so offended. Of course, God's primary purpose in sending Jesus was the remission of sin. The cross is central to everything we believe. All of that stuff that may well be going through your head right now. Um, But actually, his purpose was my adoption as a son. The centrality of the cross is so necessary for that adoption. Because it's my sin that separates me from my father. It's my sin that prevents me from being so intimate with him. Because it is such an offense to him. And so Jesus came to remove that sin, to remove that offense, so I could be adopted. Because that is all God has ever wanted. The whole narrative of the Bible is about God pursuing relationship with his children. And for me, that was huge. Um, And actually that discovery has led led us and is leading us still to where we are um, and what God is doing. Because I think once we, we know that we're a son and that we're a daughter, so many things disappear. You could all leave here today and think that is the worst seminar I've ever been to in my life. And you know what? I'm really okay with that. Because I've done my best and my dad loves me. And that's okay. And do you know what? You could all come out of here today and think, I have never heard anyone speak so eloquently, so powerfully. I've never seen so many miracles and signs and wonders in my life. And do you know what? I'm okay with that because nothing's changed. I'm still his son and he still loves me no more, no less than if you all walked out of here and said that was pants. It changes everything. Knowing that we're sons and daughters changes everything. And so for me, what that meant was I stopped scheming to try and grow the church. I stopped uh, looking at different things because my identity was in him. It wasn't in how good my church was. My identity was in knowing that I'm a son, not how big our numbers were or how many sites we were running or anything like that because my, my value wasn't being found in those things anymore. Well, they were once. And actually, as church leaders, if you are leading churches here, you have to be very, very careful why you make the decisions you do. Are you going to multi-site? Because actually, that's quite cool right now, and everybody thinks it's great. You see, when you bump into leaders, I'm sure this doesn't happen in Christ Central, but you know, in the, in the environments I'm in, you, know, you go, and first of all, you should say, how are you doing? Yeah, it's great, we're growing. Oh, great, fantastic. So, okay. So your identity is in the growth of the church. That's, that's quite cool. And then what happens is people stop thinking, oh, no, we mustn't do that. It's not about the numbers anymore. So then you say, how are you doing? You go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really busy. Okay, so being busy is good, is it? That's where we get our, our value from. You know, I get my worth from the fact that I'm, I'm working hard and I'm really, really busy. Or, or, oh, we've gone to multi-site, we've gone to this, we've gone to that. And all of those things are great. Don't get me wrong, but be careful why you make decisions. Are you going to multi-site... Because God's clearly spoken to go to multi-site. Or you're going to multi-site because actually 
you would feel good about yourself if you do, and you, will, you feel that you would have a different value amongst your peers if you do. I'm just saying. Ask yourself. Same thing with all sorts of different things that we do, because if we're looking to get our value from those things, then we're going to miss out on what, on what God is doing. And so for us as a church, we then moved into this thing, oh, I don't care about all of those things. They're important, but what I care about is being in his presence, is knowing him and pursuing him. And so we changed all sorts of things. So, I mean, I live my, my life on my, my sleeve, so the whole church came with me through this. As I was getting offended and upset and annoyed and, and understanding stuff, the whole church came, came with me, um, which, was, which was great. But there's that whole sense of just nothing else will do but the presence of God. And so we changed everything. We changed our website from a corporate sales engine um, into something that, because that, that's my background, uh, corporate sales. So, you know, into something that says, we're just pursuing the presence of God. If you fancy that, come join us. Um, and, um, you know, since we've done this, the church has almost doubled in size um, because actually people are hungry. They're hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. And actually, you know, we look to pursue the presence of God so actively in our meetings, making space for the Holy Spirit. We made sure that we're not squashing gifts of the Spirit like tongues and interpretation, prophecy, words and knowledge, all of those things that we can easily think will frighten off unbelievers. You know, don't say you haven't thought it. I know you have. You know, because we get into presenting the product of the church on a Sunday, but actually we are his gathered people to meet with him, to encounter him, to be energized for what he wants us to be doing the next day. That's why we gather to him and actually we don't want to be um, unaware of unbelievers amongst us. We want to welcome them and honor them and love them, but we're not going to dumb it down for them. And actually what we've seen is actually (laughs) unbelievers, they love it. Because it's authentic. And they do say, God is truly among you. And actually, that has been our testimony. That's what we've, we've seen. Is all the things that we were fearful of didn't happen. Not one of them. And actually, people... I mean, we've had, we've had Christians weeping through the, the entire service, asking themselves, am I actually saved? I've been a Christian for 30 years in a different church. I've come here, and I am... What, what is it I've been doing for 30 years? Because they've encountered the presence of God. And that, you know, that has been, been huge. And so I think it's, it's just been an amazing journey. And part of that for me is how does that kind of fit in with kind of New Frontiers and, and our theology and all of that. And actually what I've, I've learned is actually nothing's changed in my theology. What's changed is my desire to experience it. And what's changed is my unwillingness to just simply believe something without any action attached to it. And I think if we're going to live a life in the spirit, then actually we've got to start expecting to experience the theology um, that we hold. Um, And I believe that we can. And that is our testimony, that we are more and more. Are we experiencing our theology do you expect to experience your theology? So, we all agree that we can all prophesy. Yeah, oh, yeah okay, good, good. What are you teaching these people? No. 
Okay, we can all prophesy, yes? Okay, you're gonna get, I'm going to give you this one for free. So we can all prophesy. How many are allowed to do it on a Sunday? Two or three? Hold on, so is Paul contradicting himself? You can all prophesy, but only two or three on a Sunday. Is he contradicting himself? Okay, so what must he have had in mind? You're prophesying everywhere else, and just two or three of you get to do it on a Sunday. If you can all prophesy, and that is his call to us, my prayer is that you all prophesy, he must have had outside the church more in view than inside. Otherwise, you, I, can't, I can't say that to you. You can all do it. All come and do it, but only two or three. It doesn't work. He must have had outside in mind. So are you experiencing your theology? Is that your experience? And we need to pursue that and, and chase after that. We all agree with the Great Commission theologically. It's gone really quiet now, isn't it? All right? <laughs> you know where this is going, right? We all agree with it theologically, but do you agree with it experientially? Is your experience of that theology that actually you are making disciples of all nations every day, wherever you go? Jesus said that he had come to heal the sick, raise the dead, all of that kind of stuff. And then he says, and greater things than these will you do. Now, do you know what? I'll tell you what I bet you do, is I bet you get into a big theological debate about what the greater things are. And you stay at home and in your home groups and in your Bible studies, and you argue with each other over what the greater things are. Stop it. You're not allowed to do that, Okay? I'm not going to allow you to do it. Okay? He says that you will raise the, raise the dead, heal the sick, set the captives free. There is no question about those things. So once you're doing those things, then I'll let you argue about what the other things are. But don't stop doing the things that there is no question about in order to argue about the things you don't know anything about. Let's do what we know. Heal the sick, raise the dead, set the captive free, declare favour. Okay, so we need to start thinking about how do I experience the theology that I hold rather than just arguing about it. And as we've done that, we have seen just stuff starting to happen across the church. You need to understand that what's going on at King's Church is happening from literally the age zero right the way through. Um, We're seeing all sorts of amazing stuff happening. Some of it's quite funny sometimes, so... um, as I've travelling around, I've, I've seen a lot of healings with bad backs, and often bad backs come because one leg's longer than the other, or hips are out of line, and it appears that one leg's longer than the other. And I've seen, I've seen time and time again, um, legs grow. And uh, I was blogging about it and I'm talking about it, and it happened a few times. And then I got, I got contacted by someone. Honestly, you couldn't make this stuff up. Um, who said, "Did I have faith for both legs to grow?" And could she Skype me so we can kind of, she, I could pray for her so both legs to grow because her biggest desire in the world was to be a model and she was two inches too short. <laughs> Honestly, you couldn't make this stuff up, could you? Um, and so I thought, oh dear. Um, so um, one of our, we had some uh, brilliant people on impact teams. So I grabbed one of the girls and said, I think it'd be appropriate if you spoke to this young lady and sort of stepped out. 
But actually, as she spoke, she was in an area where there was another New Frontiers church, and we said, look, rather than going for the whole kind of, you know, reach out and touch the, touch the screen thing, why don't you go there and someone will lay hands on you and pray for you? And do you know what happened? Nothing. Well, she got saved. <laughs> so it was ama- what an amazing story, but that's just kind of from the virtual world, as it were. Um, we've just had a conference this year. Uh, a lady literally came in on a mat, could not stand up. She laid down through the whole um, of the conference. And uh, right at the end, Julian Adams, a good friend of ours, was there. And uh, he, he just called out a word of knowledge and was getting quite frustrated because he kept asking the person to stand, which actually with hindsight was a bit crazy because she was on a mat and couldn't stand. Um, but then eventually her friend signaled and Julian went round and prayed. And she got up and walked. And she, she hadn't been able to do that. Yeah, amazing. Um, but the testimony was amazing, so she texted her on Sunday morning to say she was dancing around the front room with her, her kids. She'd never done that in, in years. Um, but the real story was at the school gate. Mums in tears at the school gate as they saw her walking to school with her two, her two kids, finding out what, what God had done. It had been, a, been amazing. We've, um, some of our little kids, um, we've had quite a breakthrough with uh, kind of infertility in, in quite young couples. So we've had seven couples now in the church, uh, young couples are just infertile, unable to conceive, and um, it's just been incredibly painful, um, and gone through a lot of kind of IVF and all of that kind of stuff, and one couple, uh, one young lady, Ali, um, she, she, she just looks like she's I'm done, I've had enough of being poked and prodded, I'm just done, she's done several rounds of IVF, and she was just done, um, and she worked in our threes and four-year-olds group, and um, she went in there on a Sunday, and the lady that was leading it um, that, that week um, just said to the kids, hey, look, there's something wrong with Ali's tummy, uh, and she can't have a baby, so why don't you just lay hands on her tummy and, uh, and speak life into her tummy, which they did, and that month she fell pregnant. Incredible. And we've seen massive breakthrough, particularly in that area, so I don't think we've got any left now, all seven now have conceived and given birth, which has just been, uh, just been amazing. So we need to understand that actually that's our inheritance. As sons and daughters, that is our inheritance. These stories don't have to be the kind of one-offs that we get up on the front and kind of reel out our, our, our best stories and our biggest stories. Yes, they, they generate faith, but actually they should generate hunger where you can say, I'm not seeing that. And part of why I'm not seeing that is because I'm not really expecting it. I don't really have an expectation that that part of my theology could be true in my life every day. And so that's really important that you, you start to kind of press into that. And that's sort of Trevor's story. Yes, God broke in unexpectedly. Um, sorry, Graham's story. Yes, he broke in unexpectedly, but actually Graham then pursued and that is where the, the expansiveness of what God's got for us as we begin to pursue. Um, now, it's, it's important that you understand that particularly in, in the realm of the supernatural, when we, when we start to see stuff happening, I mean, we, we've seen you know, kids coming out of their meetings, having prayed for the sick and seen healing with kind of gold dust all around their mouths and stuff. Now, I don't have a theological box to put that in. So please don't ask me to come and explain it, because I'm quite happy with mystery. You know, um, I think if there's no mystery, we have become God. We've made ourselves like God. 
So there is some mystery. I don't know all the answers. It's just a sign that makes me wonder. And that's all I know. But what I would say about the signs and wonders is we don't pursue them. We pursue him. Now, what's a sign? A sign is something that points you to something else. So when you were coming here, you didn't suddenly see the very first sign for Newark and think, hey, out comes the tent in the lay-by. There you are. Look, look, there's the sign for Newark. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? But how many people do that with signs and wonders? They camp out at the sign. And all the sign does is says, guys, you're on the right track. You're not there yet. You haven't got to the destination, but you're going the right way. That's what a sign does. You don't camp out the first time you see one. You don't sort of get with your mates, what are you doing on the weekend? Let's go and find a sign for Newark. (laughs) That would be foolish. And so the same is with signs and wonders. We we, we enjoy them because their father's way of saying, come on, I'm with you, you're getting there. You're getting there. Keep going. Keep going. Enjoy them, but don't, don't pursue them um, in, in and of themselves. It's the destination that we're after, our encounter with Father is, is, is the thing that we're after, is that deep, intimate relationship with Him, not all the toys and the fun and the stuff that comes just through being a son. Um, you know, another question we, we sometimes get asked quite a lot because... I mean, I know Graham said he was at another crazy church, not King's Church, but he can get quite crazy at times when the Holy Spirit kind of breaks out and stuff happens. And sometimes I'm asked this, you know, or told this probably, it depends on on your perspective, but I think some of those people are attention-seeking. I think some of those people are just needy. They're just trying to fit in with the in-crowd. I think those kind of people are just, it's learnt behaviour. Now, I'm sure none of you would say that, but people people say that to me. And do do you know what I say? I say, you're probably right. You're probably right. And I've got two choices. I can shut down what the Holy Spirit is doing to avoid that happening, or I can put up with it and get what God's got for me. And so I'm prepared to put up with a little bit of attention-seeking, and we can help them and we can work with them, you know. but I can put up with that because I want to pursue what Father's got for us, um, and I can deal with all that. So don't let that be a reason not to. It's not something, oh, well, in that case, we won't, we won't do it. Because actually, stand in a prayer meeting, and watch this happen. That's just learned behavior. But it's not offensive. So we don't get bent out of shape about it. Oh, I'm not going to prayer meetings. They're going to do that rocking thing. But can you see how we let some things offend us and stop us and some things we just accept? And so actually we don't... Let our offence change us as mine did, but don't let it stop us. You know, and I think... I'm firing way off my notes now, but this is okay. Um, You know, when you see stuff happening, when you hear stories of stuff happening, the biggest killer to you stepping into it is doubt, cynicism and scepticism. And I think, you know, that wonderful scripture in Acts when it talks about the Bavarian Jews and it says, you know, they listened to Paul and they received what he had with joy and then what? And then they went to the scriptures to see if it was true. 
What we've learned to do is to receive whatever comes with scepticism, cynicism and doubt and to go back to the scriptures to prove that you're right and they're wrong. But that's not how they, they received it with joy. And then go to the scriptures to see if it's true. Just because someone says they're a Christian, they put something on YouTube, doesn't make it true. But receive it with joy and then go and see what the scriptures say. Is it true? And be careful that you're not slamming them because they're experiencing the theology that you hold and you're not. I'm just saying. I'll just put that one out there. So your sonship is key. And actually, I think sometimes we put a little bit too much emphasis on the fact that, that we're in Adam. And it's a bummer, you know, we're in Adam. I want to tell you that you were in Christ long before you were in Adam. The Bible says you were in Christ before the creation of the world. Adam hadn't been created at that point. So you're you're in Christ. You are a son. You are a daughter. Um, And I think it's really important that we grab hold of that, if nothing else. Now, I want to just shoot on into how we kind of apply that into our life in the spirit. Um, I think we cannot, we cannot do what God's called us to do without God. And so if you can do what you're doing and God doesn't need to pitch up, I've got a big question mark over that. Because we're called to start things only God can finish. Some of the stuff Jeremy's talking about on the stage, planting five churches this year. That's nuts. It's nuts because he can't do it on his own. He can't do it in his own strength. But he's going to start something that only God can finish. And we need to learn what it is to do those, to do those things. What, it is that, what is it that you're doing that you've started that only God can finish? And I love asking myself that question because if there are too many things that, well, or not anything that actually I can't do in my own strength and skill, then actually am I living a, a true life in the spirit? And often what stops us doing that is this orphan-heartedness where we've not really connected with the fact that we're sons and we're daughters. And because orphans, I'll just look after themselves, I'll just make do with what I've got, I'll do the best I can with what, what I've got, and they hoard you, hang on. See, I'll protect myself, I'll protect what I've got, and that's how an orphan thinks. But a son is my dad, and that's why that answer was so wonderful. My dad will make it happen. And that is where we, where we need to be. So be, learn to be a friend with the Holy Spirit. Learn to spend time with him, really listening to him, really going out on a limb, with him because he will lead you to some crazy places but actually we need to learn what it is just to follow him and to be obedient and most of the things he's going to ask you to do are things you believe already when we talk about raising the dead we have a theology but really where's your expectation and so I want to ask the Holy Spirit more and more is come and reveal yourself in my theology that I can experience it, that I can do it with you. And, and I think it's so important for us to understand that. Now, baptism in the Spirit is, is massive. And if you've not been baptized in the Spirit, then we'd love to pray for you. We really, really would. And when we pray for you, we will be expecting you to speak in tongues. 
we'll be, or we'll be expecting you to see some manifestation of the Holy Spirit as a result, because that's what the Bible says happens. That's my expectation. That's my theology. Is that your theology? It is, I think, in the main. Speaking in tongues or some obvious heavenly supernatural manifested gift will happen. But how many of you have been baptised in the Spirit but couldn't identify one of those things? And so what ends up happening is, is we end up for a second-rate baptism in the Holy Spirit because we think we're baptised in the Spirit, but actually there's no power. It's like an inoculation. When you get an inoculation, they give you a little bit of the disease, don't they? And then your body creates antibodies, so when you get the real thing, you don't notice it. Well, actually, sometimes, if we've got a baptism in the Holy Spirit theology that says someone's prayed for me, but I've got no mechanism of, of knowing that's true in terms of a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, then it's like having that little bit of inoculation because you kind of feel like, well, I've had that, I've done that. And so, again, I'd say to you, if, 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 if you know, God's good, he don't mind going again. And if you've got it wrong and he did baptise you in the Holy Spirit before, he'll happily do it again. But you need to know in your knower that you know. Because there's power in what you do. You know, speaking in tongues, most of the examples in the, in, in the New Testament suggest to me that you speak in tongues when you're baptised in the Holy Spirit. The only exa- other example is, is unclear. But clearly, Simon the sorcerer, he knew something had happened. So whether it was tongues or whether it was something else, I'm not sure. But there was a clear evidence that it happened. And speaking in tongues is so powerful. And it's a major... Uh, tool, weapon against depression, being miserable, all of that kind of stuff. Because the Bible says it, it energizes the inner man. It, it builds up the inner man. It's brilliant. So, you know, when you've got a bit of a cob on, go and pray in tongues. That's what the Bible says. Stop your being miserable. I'm going to tell your kids that. I'm speaking in the youth. So, so if your mum and dad are miserable, tell them just go and speak in tongues for a bit. <laughs> They'll soon come out happy. It's important, it's a powerful gift, speaking in tongues. Um, because, it, as I say, it builds us up. But actually, we've got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and just go for it. I remember uh, I was uh, in a coffee shop, it just opened, 7 o'clock in the morning, there was only me in there, uh, the girl serving the coffee, and, and uh, you know, sh- she looked pretty rough. Now, I've been married 25 years, so I've learned that there are certain things you can say in a way of saying them, and that really wasn't the way to say it. Um, but I, I, I did mention to her I'd seen her looking better. Um, and she said, I'm so tired. You know, I'm just not sleeping. And, and I thought, sort of, <laughs> what, in a coffee shop, really? You know, have some coffee. And then as I was taking my drink away, I, the Holy Spirit just said, really? <laughs> There's only you in the coffee shop. So I went back and, and sort of said to her, look, I'm a Christian and, and uh, I believe in the power of prayer and, and I believe if I pray, you'll sleep. How do you feel about me praying for you? So she said, yeah, okay, that was fine. And, you know, I was okay with it because literally I was the only one in there. It was fine. So I prayed for her and she thanked me and that was all great and, you know, brilliant. And then, I don't know, three or four days later, I went back in at lunchtime and it was rant. And so I'm sort of queuing up for my coffee and, and I, get, I get there and she went, oh! It's you. And I said, yeah, yeah, how are you doing? Are you sleeping? Never mind all that. Pray for me to get this job now. 
what? It's like there's people here. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness, okay. Um, so we, we went off to the side, we prayed. And, and then um, next time I came in again, it was pretty empty. And she actually came and sat with me and began to tell me of her story, how she'd been brought up as a Catholic until she was 13. And then her father converted to Islam. And then she'd been brought up as a Muslim until now. And she was pre- pretty mixed up about it all. But it was a great opportunity. Um, but it was listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, for the sake of integrity, I want to tell you that that story is a little bit old and a little bit tired. And so I need to keep moving in this. I need to keep going and going as I'm encouraged. So just for integrity's sake, I don't want you to feel like, man, that guy, let's go and have coffee with Andy. You'll be, be saving everyone and raising the dead in the coffee shop. You know, but but we're, we're, all, we're all on a journey, aren't we? And we all need to keep moving in it. And so I want to encourage you that, you know, one-offs are great, but they need to be again and again and again. And, and so it ends up with how hungry are you? Really, how hungry are you? When, you, when you're reading through your New Testament, when you're reading stuff and you're, you're, you're seeing stories of Jesus raising the dead or the apostles you know, walking past and their shadows kind of healing people, what does that make you do? You think, man, how cool would that be? But you're a son just as much. You're a daughter just as much. And these things shall you do. And that should be stirring in us a hunger, a hunger for more. And you may ask the question, well, how, how do I get hungry? And the answer is be around people who are hungry. You ever walk down the high street, not thinking about food, nothing like that, and you walk past the bakery, and suddenly you go, oh, suddenly you're starving, out of nowhere. Take time to be around Jesus, the bread of heaven, take a good sniff. That kind of bread will make you hungry. And it's important that you pursue that. I wonder if, you know, like Paul says, he's learned to be content in all circumstances. I've been thinking about that quite a bit. And I'm not sure my assumption is is that he was satisfied in all circumstances. But he'd learned to be content. And I think in our Western world, we've taken being as content as being satisfied. And I don't think that's the case. We need to learn to be content in all circumstances, but it doesn't mean we need to stay satisfied. Have you become satisfied? To the point where you're not hungry anymore. Have we taken that contentment to be being satisfied? And you know, I believe that we need to be a people that are content but not satisfied with the status quo. And I believe that's why we need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we want to give opportunity for people to be baptised in the Holy Spirit or go for it again. Um, and I believe we've got to get to that place where we're saying, do you know what? I'm not, I don't want to be satisfied anymore. I don't want to sit around and watching half a dozen people going off to plant a church in Timbuktu and I'm just happily content and satisfied with my lot and where I am. We've got to find that place of holy discontent because what I'm experiencing and what I believe I should be experiencing is 
experiencing aren't the same. And that should produce in us, I pray it produces in us, a holy discontent to the point where we'll hunger after the more. We hunger after encounters with him. That we know him. That we, we, we don't just theologically get him. But actually we meet with him. We encounter him. We know the intimacy that you can have with him. That allows us to press in for more. That discontent that says, I know the kingdom is both now and not yet. But if we come too content with the now and not hungry for the not yet. See, Jesus demonstrated pulling the not yet into the now. And as a son and as a daughter, you get to choose. You get to choose. I'm going to go after the not yet rather than just be content with the now. We can pursue that. And so I think this morning, this afternoon now, and I've preached through the morning into the afternoon. That's that's a first for me. Is how hungry are you? How discontent are you, really? And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go for it and I'm going to just ask, if you know you're not hungry like I'm talking about, why don't you just stand? Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. These last kind of 15 minutes, we're just going to wait on God. The team may have some prophetic words and we're just going to see what God wants to do. But I just really felt the weight of that this morning. Father, I thank you that you are a good, good father. And when we ask for bread, you won't give us a stone. And Father, this morning we've been smelling the bread of heaven. And in our bellies, we are hungry. We're hungry for the more. We're hungry for the more of your kingdom. We're hungry for the more, Lord God, of, of what we, we read and don't yet see. Father, we're hungry for that. We're hungry for the reality of the New Testament in our lives every day. And because you're a good, good father, we know that you're not going to give us a rock when we ask for bread. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask right now, would you come on every person's stood? Would you begin to both feed that hunger, but also to generate it? Would you start to stir hearts? Lord, just as you did mine four years ago, when I came to that place and I knew I wasn't hungry like those guys were hungry. And Father, I cry out to you for my brothers and my sisters and say, Lord, would you take them on that same journey? Lord God, I pray you'd accelerate it. Lord God, I pray that you would condense it. I pray, Lord, that you do what you've done in, in me and in our church, Lord God. I pray you do it this weekend. Condense it, accelerate it. Lord God, that every person stood would leave here, going back to their homes, their churches, and their communities, radically changed. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you come now on each individual? Would you empower them? Lord, would you give them a holy discontent? for the status quo. Father, forgive us when we've allowed our contentment to become satisfaction. Forgive us, Lord God, when we've accepted the cushy life, <laughs> Lord God, that many of us have. Our comfort, when we've valued that, 
Lord God, over pursuit of you, when we've, we've valued our, our rest over doing what you're calling us to do, where we've, we just value our everything, Lord God, that, that, that comforts us above, Lord, a discontent for you and your kingdom and, and, Lord God, what's not happening. So, Father, I pray, Lord God, would you set a light in each heart right now, uh, a discontent for the status quo and a pursuit of the, the, the not yet coming into the now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just keep receiving kind of where you are um, and uh, if any of the team have got anything they want to share, I'm just going to wait on God a little bit. Uh, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.